once in a while you run into an artist and it just really reminds you that fame has nothing to do with the amount of musical skill or musical talent somebody has. In fact, in some cases, it works almost retroactively. As people become more famous, the soul almost falls away. The guy we're uh, talking about tonight has no limit of soul. I mean, honestly, he, you really did have a limitation in the spotlight. Tonight, we're talking about Booker White. Thanks for listening. Dude, check out the song. I'm Ian. I'm Pat. And yeah. Gotta be upfront with you. There are some large gaps in this guy's history. Doesn't exactly have the most written about him, but I think I was able to find some good stuff for this episode. Yeah. I'm not joking when I said limited spotlight. It, it, not a lot of people paid attention to him, and the people who even did, there's not a, even a whole lot of material recorded for him. The stuff that I did find, like, there's there's a short era where he did a lot of recording, but... Yeah, we'll talk about that, too. And so, like Pat said, his name was Booka White, spelled B-U-K-K-A. And really, that was just kind of his nickname. His real name was Booker T. Washington White, but people just called him Booka, you know, and they spelled it kind of phonetically. And he was born near Houston, Mississippi, probably in November 12, 1906. Some sources say 1909, others say 1902. You know, we're back in that era where... There's no real true history to it. Yeah. When were you born? I don't know. Probably somewhere back then in November. <laughs> I'm and, sure he knew. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, well, did they even keep track of that back then, though? I'm starting to think not. Well, there's a lot of cases where like, we've already experienced where people who are still alive can't tell you what year they were born. Right. So, I mean, that's I won't say that it was like highly common, but we've run into it several times. And White was one of seven children, so, you know, he had a lot of family. I don't know what happened to his mom. Couldn't find any any stuff on that. Super vague. But he was raised on a sharecropper's farm by his maternal grandfather, the Reverend Punk Davison. His name is Punk? Punk Davison. Oh, my God. Wait, hold on. <laughs> his name is actually Punk? And his name is Reverend Punk Davison. That is so badass. All right, sorry. I didn't mean to, like, stop everyone there, but that's just... Is that like a normal name? Do people is punk a first name? I, I don't think so, especially back in that day. I don't even know if it was a word. Yeah, that's. I, I mean, I wonder if it's shortened for something or like an abbreviation. But that's very strange. I've never <laughs> in my life heard punk as a first name. Me neither. Well, and the reason why he wasn't raised by his father was because his father John White was a railroad fireman and also a part-time musician, but he was on the road a lot. When he was in town, though, he did teach Booker to play the guitar and even took him and all of his other children, you know, to the Baptist church, you know, do family stuff, community stuff. Eventually, though, Booker would end up moving to Grenada, Mississippi to work on his uncle's farm. This is around 1919. Huge gap there, I know. Like I said, hard to find just about anything about his early life in general. Like, it took me so long to just find some of the recordings he did and when. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the case, and especially, we've talked about this a whole bunch of times, children's lives are not that important and not that interesting, so a lot of people don't make a whole lot of notes of what's going on as a child's, like, growing up, especially, like, in case they become some famous <laughs> person. Like, oh, in 100 years, they're going to need to do an intensive search on what he did in middle school. We better write it all down. It he doesn't got a happen. D in math. Yeah, exactly. So those sort of things, like, there's always that gap in the youth. But, you know, him moving to Grenada, he was actually around like a cultural center for the Delta music tradition at this point. And he even got to see Charlie Patton play and was inspired by him. Nice. We uh, we covered Charlie Patton a little bit and he is uh, he's he's awesome. Yeah, he's pretty cool. 
So he ended up working a lot of hours in the field. You know, he was a farmer, man. Tough life. Even, you know, he was a young boy at this point, too. He had a quote, and he said, none of the other boys, they didn't have any idea what I was thinking about, you know, because he wanted to be a musician. And around this time, he even learned how to play piano on top of being able to play guitar, and he started performing wherever he could when he had the time. You know, like juke joints, honky-tonks, dances, pool halls, and even bars in Mississippi and St. Louis. In fact, in St. Louis, he even befriended a musician named Johnny Thomas, who gave him more lessons on guitar and piano. Nice. That's fucking... So he, he's he's straight up, from the beginning, decided to be a musician and just full-on went for it. I think his dad ingrained it in his head at an early age, and he was just like, I love this. Yeah, which is only all the more traumatic since we already spoke about the fact that, you know, to this day, not a whole lot of people are going to know who Booker White is. Yeah. Not intended to be a spoiler as, you know, but unfortunately the fact you don't know who he is kind of gives it away. Yeah. And in fact, he really, when he was playing these shows, didn't make any money. I got a quote by him. He says, I played for a rabbit sandwich, piece of egg pie or tater pie and all the water I can drink. <laughs> All the water you can drink. All the water you can drink. Well, he was a young guy, a young, you know, kid, basically, at this point. Yeah. I mean, hey, there you go. All the water you can handle, man. And again, we got to kind of jump forward a little bit in his life. In 1925, he got married. And as a wedding gift, his father gave him a new Stella guitar. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, good, solid resonator, and which became he became known for. Oh, all the videos I watched of him, he's always rocking that resonator. Unfortunately, this marriage didn't last too long. About three years after they were married. Number one? Number one. His wife died a painful death. Oh, God. I was expecting a divorce. No. She suffered from a ruptured appendix. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. That does not sound like a good 1928 ruptured appendix. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. That's uh, the devil in you. I'm sorry. And so, while Booker was performing in Memphis, he met a man named Ralph Lembo, a white Mississippi furniture dealer who also served as an agent for the Victor Record Company, which I'm starting to think at this point, they just hired guys who had normal jobs because you had Mayo, who was a football player on the side. I mean, so they are just like, yeah, you find the talent for us. Keep your regular job. We're not going to pay you a whole lot. <laughs> well, and let's not forget, if you haven't you know, kept up with the timeline, just kind of remind everyone, Victor becomes something all the more important later. It is RCA. Yep. So uh, if you guys have never heard of Victor, you've heard of RCA. I mean, if you've ever bought a record or been to a record store, you've heard RCA at least at some point. Well, and so Ralph Lembo really liked Booker, so he got him into the Victor's Memphis studio to record 14 sides in 1930. But you know what happens in 1930? <sighs> what? Yeah, that's right. They were in the middle of the Great Depression. Yep. Again, we've we've covered this like so many times. It's either the Great Depression or it's the record strikes. One of these two things just gets in so many people's lives and just ruins it. And because of the Great Depression, they only ended up releasing four of the 14 songs. And a lot of them were gospel songs, like even had a song called I Am In The Heavenly Way. He was even billed as Sermon Sung For You by Washington White. Wasn't even going by Booker at the time. Oh, geez. Washington White. Yeah. Sounds like a super villain. And 
I tried to find all four songs that they released. I could only find the other two. The other one is The Promise, True and Grand. And that last one is The New Frisco Train. Now, I really tried hard to find that last song. Problem is, is I could find a list of all the songs you recorded, but not the songs they released. Oh, so you couldn't tell which one was which? So. Yeah. Nah, that's rough, man. But now we get to our first dude check out the song of the evening. And oh, we're just going to do all three. Daddy. Hit me. All three. Just, just one, two, three. Hit me with it. I am in the heavenly way and the promise true and grand and the new Frisco train. Check them all out. These songs are amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to listen already. Actually, I think we listened to a half of those on the way. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys can't tell, I'm a huge fan of this guy, too. I discovered him probably about eight years ago. Got really, really into him. Completely forgot about him until we were starting to get ready for season two. And then I was like, oh, right. Book of White. And I re-fell in love with him. This guy's amazing. Yeah, he's fucking fantastic. Like, seriously, he has been a, just a joy to listen to and a, really a joy to, like, research and be around in general since we've, you know, started this whole thing. Well, because they only released four of his recordings, he just started wandering the country, you know, being a freight train riding hobo. Oh, sweet. No, I like those things. It, did he really? He just, like, do blues people do that? I guess it's like a folk music thing, but do blues? Yeah. I mean, it's the times, man. I mean, yeah, I would assume blues people still had to ramble, and, and uh, I mean, that just seems weird. Personally, I think it's any musician at the time, you know, you just got to get around, get your music out there, you know, play. Yeah, so what year would this be? This would be 1930. Yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense, because it, it, it's specifically in the Great Depression, so like rambling hobos, migrant yeah. workers, that is what happened during the 1930s. That is it is a theme that is wide and struck, so I guess it really would affect everybody regardless of what music they play. Yeah, he probably couldn't even afford to, you know, actually just pay to go take a train. He probably had to hop the train just to get around. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can only imagine where Woody Guthrie is right now. He would eventually return to Mississippi, get married again, and settle near Aberdeen, Mississippi. And he'd perform occasionally with his wife's uncle, a singer and a harmonica player named George Bullet Williams. Bullet Williams? That fucking cool name right I there. I know. Blues musicians got the greatest God. nicknames. And they also sound like comic book heroes, too. <laughs> I'm Bullet Williams. Because money was so hard, though, he really had to just do anything he could to get money. He started pitching for the Birmingham Black Cats, a baseball team from the Negro Leagues. <laughs> Wait, we got another baseball guy? Or no, right, we had a football guy before. Never mind, I'm sorry. Totally. Yeah, he. it's the footsing ball. <laughs> it's the ball sports. Yep. We got another ball sport guy. But he even stepped into the ring and boxed, too. Oh, well, I mean, actually, that makes a little bit of sense. I, the videos I watch of this guy, he looks pretty, uh, pretty sizable. Pretty punchy. Yeah. He looks nice enough. I mean, he lets that old man grind on his guitar for like half that uh, musical <laughs> session. Uh, yeah, so dude, check out this video. There's a there's a little video where he plays a song. I don't even remember what the song is. Old Lady Blues. It's Old Lady Blues. And yeah, literally, he's playing Old Lady Blues in a little uh, coffee shop or maybe like, I'm not even sure. It's some sort of, it's just a little room with some tables and people are like dancing in front of the camera in front of him. And it's like these to two old men and it's just shaking their thing right yep. in front of him. Yeah, exactly. They're giving him a little bit of a lap dance while he's playing. I assume that it's and nobody seems to mind. So I think it's like was OK with the culture, but it seemed a little weird to me. And the last job that he had, he made moonshine. Oh, that's a good way to top that off. 
I mean, <laughs> baseball, boxing, and moonshine. You can't beat that. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're slashing people with a razor. That's the best you're going to be doing. Well, funny you should say that. Oh, my God. So at some point while he was playing in the honky tonks, you know, it was kind of violent back in the day. He shot a man. Oh, yeah. Here it comes. I, I should have seen this coming. But he did claim self-defense, yep, saying that of he course. was ambushed by a group on a dark road. And he was sentenced to two years at the Parchment Farm. Now, do you remember that name? Oh, my God. Is this the same place? As Sunhouse. Oh, fuck. It is. It's the same place. <laughs> do we have years on this? Or like, comparatively, when they were there? 1937. Uh, so this was after Sunhouse's time. Yeah, this was well after Sunhouse's time. So uh, that's... <laughs> It all comes around, you know what I mean? Like, we're starting to kind of build a, a nice little narrative. I think this uh, this little penitentiary is a blues haven. Yeah. And so he was sentenced to two years for assault. Now, before he actually went to prison, he traveled to Chicago to record two sides for the Vocalion label before he began his sentence. According to legend, though... He actually jumped bail and was rearrested by a Mississippi sheriff in the recording studio. <laughs> That's the legend. That's the legend. And we do we have any actual evidence of that? Not really. Oh my god! I'm gonna I'm just gonna remember it that way though, because we've as we always talk about it. Do check out this song. The folk legend is far more important than what actually happens. Yeah, so. the myth is the greatest part of building up a musician. Yeah, exactly. So we're just gonna we're gonna let that ride. The so the sheriff busts in, busts him in the studio in Chicago. By the way, in Chicago. And so he did actually end up recording two songs in this period. We just don't really know the full situation. One of those songs is called Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And now the other one was a song called Shake Em Down. And this became a minor hit in Chicago, and people started playing it all over Chicago, like blues musicians. Oh, that's cool. I yeah. mean, it, it, the song rocks. Yeah. It really well, does. The worst part is is it's basically being covered by people. He's got no rights to the song. He's in prison, doesn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> Has no idea that his song is becoming like famous outside, and he's like, do-do-do-do-do. But if you think that's cool, check this out. Led Zeppelin in their song Hats Off to Roy Harper on their third album, large parts of that song were actually based off of Shake Em Down parts. Oh, that's cool. And to do it even one more, their song Custard Pie from the album Physical Graffiti also has references to Shake Em Down. That's really cool. I mean, that's that makes sense. I mean, it actually it, it actually makes sense when you listen to Book of White and how he plays guitar, and then you look at like kind of Led Zeppelin and and the way they like to make their, I don't know, the way that they use their guitars. Yeah, and well, it, it is comparable, honestly. And especially the song "Hats Off to Roy Harper." It's a clean song with some slide in it, and you can definitely hear the influence. Yeah, exactly. And so while he was in prison. He tended to play a lot of guitar, and that kind of got him out of a lot of the chain gangs and stuff like that. Didn't really do a ton. But here comes along the guys we've talked about almost every episode, John and Alan Lomax. And so they ended up recording two songs for Booker White, too. Sick'em Dogs On and Po' Boy. Both of which those songs are fucking cool. Yeah, they're really cool. And when White was questioned about how things went in his time in jail he simply smiled and said well i mostly play guitar 
Yeah, I mean, hey, hey if they let you, you can entertain the guards. They'll let you get away with some stuff, apparently, in the day. Yeah, I mean, especially if they let you have a guitar and all you got to do is play a guitar. And then if you're good at guitar, the both the inmates and the guards are nice to you because you're an entertainment source. like, And you don't got to do the hard labor. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what you got to do right there. If you uh, if you ever get time traveled back to 1930s prison, bring an acoustic guitar. So our second dude, check out the song. We've got Shake Em On Down and Sick Em Old Dogs. <laughs> this guy loves to to use like a abbreviated and shortened versions of words in the middle of his like song titles. Well, it's even his, his thing, even his name's abbreviated though. Booker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, yeah he, he really does. He likes to abbreviate words. It's his thing. He doesn't like to fully pronounce anything. He likes to write things down as abbreviated, clearly. So eventually he does end up getting released, and he heads straight for Chicago to resume his recording career. Yeah, go! He writes out lyrics to some famous blues songs, the biggest one being Sitting on Top of the World. He went to see a recording producer named Melrose, hoping to impress him with the material he had. But... He thought there was more potential in actually writing his own songs, like full songs with guitar, because he was only writing lyrics, right? And so he sent White to a hotel room with the instructions to come up with new material. And so basically he spent that time in the hotel thinking about his time in prison and started writing. So when he came back with new material, he ended up recording 14 songs in Melrose's Southside studio on March 7th, 1940. Released on Vocalion and OK Record labels. And these are considered like some of the greatest of the classic blues stuff. Oh my God, these songs are so good. This is one of those twilight evenings of recordings for an artist, you know what I mean? Where you go in yeah. and it everything goes right. And, you know, sometimes it's just a perfect recording environment and the perfect, you know, energy from the musician and everything goes right. And the, I think this was one of those instances. Yeah, and in fact... After these recordings came out, Melrose even said, I never had a man, black or white, kiss me dead on the mouth before, but that's what he done. <laughs> of course he would. Booker White would kiss your kiss you on the mouth and wouldn't give a fuck. Kiss you dead. Dead on the mouth. Yeah. <laughs> kiss you dead on the mouth. Even Booker White's got a quote from this era. And he was talking about Melrose, and I quote, he say, Lord, man, you done 100%. I've been on this job 35 years, and I never seen a man do what you done in two days. He said, how the hell did you get it? Where did it come from? We're going to have to introduce a segment where it's Ian's quotes for the day, because I think one of my favorite things that we do any episode is when Ian quotes people, because he quotes some of the, like, weirdest, like, the best, and the the impressions of these, like, I, I feel, I felt Book of White on you right there. <laughs> you should be, like, a method actor. You were, you were, you were I got it. I got into the role. Yeah, you were beaming Book of White on me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and so of these recordings, obviously several of them represented prison life with songs like When Can I Change My Clothes? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, okay, I shouldn't be laughing, but that's fucked up. Yeah. All it's right. a great song, though, uh, too. Uh, okay, what's the next one? <laughs> the next one is Parchment Farm Blues, you yeah. know, obviously because he was there. Yeah, because yeah, the, the entire place blues. And then, you know, he had songs 
kind of about the bitter ending that African-Americans in the South could, you know, meet, you know, among the racism and stuff like high fever blues and fixing to die blues, fixing to die. Another great song too. Oh, so good. One of my favorites, but not all of his songs are super serious. He did kind of have some songs to lighten the mood, like Booker's Jitterbug Swing. Woo. Love that song. Oh man. Yeah, it, it really is. It is a it jitterbug swings. That's the best. That is really the best title for it. I can't explain any further. Go listen to it. And I believe I couldn't find a hundred percent confirmation on this when he originally recorded it because his '60s recordings of this song actually became more famous. But I believe this is when he originally did Aberdeen, Mississippi Blues too. And so here we go, another dude. Check out the song. Of course, I got fixing to die, and I got Booker's jitterbug swing. Aberdeen, Mississippi Blues, and Parchman Farms. All those songs you need to check out. Dude, check it out. Bomb. Four songs on you. He's, he's dropping it oh. like Donkey Kong over here. I would. I love this guy, dude. <laughs> I listened to like nothing but him for the last four days. Yeah, you can tell when Ian's hyped for an episode. He's a he's ready. And as much good things that were said about the record and how much everybody loved them, at least surrounding him. Sold kind of modest numbers. Didn't actually do that well. And so White had to return to Memphis. And then he took a job in a defense plant because, you know, it was in the middle of World War II. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you do. If you don't go to war, you you work at a defense plant during World War II. That's I, it probably did. pays pretty well for back in the day, though, oh, too. That it probably did. Unfortunately, though, the hits keep coming. His second marriage broke up. Number two. Yeah. And there's a number three, but I couldn't find any information on her. So just throw that one out there. Number there two is, and three. No. <laughs> she might have stayed with him. There was no information on her whatsoever. Yeah. Well, so she we'll, wasn't we'll in just anything I've till, seen. Till the end of his life. Hope till the end of his life that yeah. she stuck around. No, number two. No. Number three. <laughs> yay. <laughs> uh, divorce. And so, yeah, he didn't really do any more recordings after that. Those kind of felt like his last shot, you know? Like, he'd play live with a local musician named Frank Stokes. Problem is, is his style of music at this time is the old style. Only old people liked it. Yep. I mean, that's kind of the way it is, especially with... I won't say especially with anybody. That is just kind of the way it is. Like, music... Out with the old and with the new. exactly. Music transforms always, and, you know... there's people who are able to ride like, you know, from genre change to genre change, like forward. And that's great. And they keep their popularity. But music itself becomes so liquid over a, a certain amount of time. Like, well, yeah, because you kids are always this. young. People are always looking for those songs that'll piss off the old folk, too. Yeah, exactly. And it's exactly. And, you know, musicians are always looking for the new thing that makes you slightly cooler or different than everybody else. Everybody's looking for the new hitch. And, you know, that just kind of makes music slow slowly roll forward constantly and if you don't i don't know continue to evolve with the situation you end up being left behind i guess but there was something really cool he did if he never picked up a guitar again this honestly you just gotta thank him just for this most of his energy at this point in his life went into encouraging and help teach a mississippi musician and disc jockey named riley king who went by the title blues boy Shortened to BB. Oh. That's right. He helped teach his first cousin, BB King. Oh, shit. 
he's yeah. B.B. King's first cousin? Yeah. Oh, what the? That's, okay, that's cool. <laughs> I had to hide some stuff from you. I wanted to drop some knowledge oh, on you, man. That's fucking cool. Yeah. I, I had no idea that was a connection, but that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, he would be that, that first generation impact for someone like B.B. King that just would continue to be uh, yeah, you know, and, influential forever. Yeah, and B.B. King was his first cousin, but a lot younger than him, you know, and he ha- had the clout of, like, that old blues musician, you know. And So I'm kind of ashamed to uh, admit this, but I had no idea B.B. meant blues baby. You didn't? No, I had no idea. That and it's blues boy, not blues or, baby. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I had no idea that it meant blues baby <laughs> either. <laughs> you totally... just said blues baby again. I know, I was making a joke, oh, Ian. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, dissing B.B. King. I'm we're, sorry, B.B., I didn't know. We're going to get all those mu- blues musicians after <laughs> us now. They're going to be uh, pounding their guitars on the door while we're uh, while we're recording an episode. Whatever. Honestly, I'm mainly just happy that uh, Blues Baby is not taken because officially I would like you to start referring to me as Blues Baby uh, from <laughs> here on out, if you wouldn't mind. I'll make a note of it. All right, thank you. And so in the 50s, like, nothing really happened. He just worked and kind of got lost to the world. No recordings, you know, just kept working in his plant. But, and we've talked about this multiple times, the 60s revival. Oh, does he get hit with it too? Why don't we find out together? Hey, (laughs) can we hold hands? We can. All right. One young folk musician decided to record his first album. And on this album was Fixin' to Die Blues. Oh. You know where this is going. I love this song. And, more yes. Than, more than most songs on the face of the planet, I love this song. <laughs> and, yes. In fact, this was Bob Dylan's first album. Found another way to mention him on this podcast. <laughs> yep, the Lomaxes and Bob Dylan. Our and, mascots. Yeah, and, and Woody Guthrie and Sunhouse and uh, and Lead Belly. Those are, those are, that's how you listen to our podcast. <laughs> These the are end. the bobbleheads we have sitting on our desk. Yeah, exactly. We're, we should start adding like portraits to something, like maybe like a <laughs> portrait wall behind us, just get an oil painting of each of the people who become our mascot. We're, we'll start working on that. We're going to start revamping the studio here. The funny thing is, because Bob Dylan recorded this version, rare copies of White's songs actually started circulating among collectors. And because of this, people actually started discovering him. And so in 1963, two University of California students, John Fahey and Ed Denson, which we've mentioned before, at least John Fahey, they addressed a letter to Booker T. Washington White, old blues singer, CO General Delivery, Aberdeen, Mississippi. And that's how they addressed it to him. Wow. Booker T. Washington White, old blues musician, was actually written on there. <laughs> this is, they just sent that and they put it in the post? Yeah, they're like, he, he lives somewhere near Aberdeen. I'll find him. So, but apparently it did end up working his way to Booker. <laughs> Is that how the mail works? Apparently, just like, we'll send a letter, a vague letter to someone. We don't even know if he lives there. <laughs> oh, I'm going to try that now. That's a terrible <laughs> idea. What the fuck? <laughs> but it found him. And so you know what he did? What did he do? Nothing. He just, you know, was like, I got a job. I'm good. Oh, I mean. No, oh. I'm kidding, man. He went straight out to California and started recording. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, honestly, that's exactly what I would do. How old is he at this point? What year? This is 1963. Okay, so, by the way, this we usually don't get in the 60s, guys. We have kind of a, a cutoff in the in our mental well, scape Well, some right of our now. older... Sunhouse made it pretty far. Yeah, exactly. So we don't really mention the 60s very often, so very much enjoy the 60s uh, allure and uh, scape for just a moment. But yeah, I, I think I said he recorded. He actually didn't start recording yet, but he started performing for, you know, students and started playing, you know, centers on the West Coast, you know, like, you know, in Ashgrove in Los Angeles, too. Like, can you imagine? Like, musically, nothing's happening for him. He's just a worker man who can play awesome music. And all of a sudden, he's in L.A. Yeah. Like, on the other side of the country. Yeah, playing real blues, like in the revival blues. Because I know that, like, revival blues was a huge thing for the time that it happened. Yeah, and all of a a sudden all these white people are paying to see you play, too. That's got to be crazy. Especially coming from Mississippi where he saw so much racism. That's got to be a trip. And especially just being around the first time when blues was coming up because it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't as widely accepted. Like, nowadays when we think of blues, everybody loves blues. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter, like, who you are. You could be an old, crusty, white dude, an Asian lady, like, you you know, a dude on an airplane, a guy with a a jetpack. You still like blues. It doesn't matter. It's the foundation for rock and roll, man. Yeah, no, exactly. It is, It is, and it's so classic and enjoyable. Uh, but up until the blues revival, it was not saw, or it was not seen that way. Yeah, there were so many musicians who almost died in obscurity, and if it wasn't for the 60s revival, we might not even have ever heard of Book of White. Or Mississippi John Hurt, or, or any other, uh, many, many Sun names. Sunhouse. Yeah, Sunhouse. All these people were just rejuvenated and... And because of those, that, like, 60s revival, we get to appreciate all the things that we might not even gotten. We might not be doing this podcast today about this subject if the 60s revival hadn't reminded us that Book of White was amazing. 100%. Yeah. This would have gone down as something that only, like, people who collect the extreme rare albums even know about. You prob- You might not even find much of his music on the internet today. Yeah, exactly, if it wasn't for these later recordings. And they have a lot of, like, these... We, we w- w- watched a couple of videos of this as, like, old man Book of White. One is, like, I think it was recorded in the 70s or 60s, and it is amazing because he's sitting on, like, this flat futon, old man <laughs> out. I think that one's in the 70s. That yeah. one's near the end of his life. Yeah, it is It is in the 70s. And uh, he's, like, you can tell that he's not slapping his heart and stuff, but he's still got, like, the exact same motion. He plays the song really too his fullest yeah with the exception of the actual impact on it you know the the hand impact that a younger man might have had it's a little bit softer but it still is he's got the soul all the way up until the 70s all the way till the end man well and so white his main residence was in memphis up until he died but he was often seen sitting on a stool on mosby street that he called his office and that is where he started negotiating concert offers that came in and even started, like, booking record deals. Wait, so just a stool on the side of the street? Yeah, that's where he negotiated it all. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> that right there is a true blues man, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy it. He's on the streets forever, man. That's his, that's his world. <laughs> and actually, he ended up recording several albums from this era, too. Like Fahey and Denson... I mentioned earlier, they recorded Mississippi Blues Book of White on their Tacoma label. And that was, you know, basically capturing his older material, you know, stuff he's already done. But some guy named Chris Stratchwitz, 
released two <laughs> Stratchwitz. Yeah, it's a tough name. Oh my god, we we've we've collected a lot of weird names, but Stratchwitz <laughs> is up there. Yeah, that was a tough name, but he ended up recording and releasing two volumes of new songs that Booker had written over the years. And you know, he called this album. What he called this album? He called it Sky Songs, Volume One and Two. You know why he called it Sky Songs? Why? Because he could just reach up and pull these songs out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. The 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 God brought me these songs. Well, I mean, every musician doesn't really know where the inspiration comes from to write a song either. It just pops in your head like, oh, why didn't I do this before? Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I'm not trying to downplay anyone's inspiration like that. You know, I like to I like to build my inspiration in my own methods, but. You know, it's <laughs> pulling it from the sky. It's such a blues, like a blues musician thing. Yeah. I, I pull the, you know, God speaks him into my ear. That sort of that, that light twinkling in the sky thing. And it's so poetic in a way, too. Unlike that white guy we mentioned in the Sunhouse episode, there's poetry <laughs> in the blues, okay? Yeah, exactly. I need you. You need to chill out, old man talking over Sunhouse. <laughs> <laughs> We're still mad about that episodes later. <laughs> Terrible production choice. <sighs> What was that name? That show's name? I can't even remember. It was like Spotlight. Or... It was like Channel Three or something. <laughs> yeah, it was something stupid. Yeah. I don't even remember. Go yeah. back and listen to the episode so you can know about it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it just pisses me off thinking about it. Stop talking over and playing. <laughs> yeah, so all he was doing was playing when he wanted. You know, getting recordings. He was plenty of TV stuff. And in fact, this is what I think is really cool. He has so many live videos of him playing on YouTube, like. Probably almost as much as Sunhouse. There's so many of them playing. Yeah. Well, I mean, not live on YouTube, but. Yeah. You know. <laughs> when you said that for a second, I'm like, wait, is he like making YouTube videos? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing a hologram of him now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, if you guys really want to check out how awesome this guy was, we're going to throw all of these songs and even more on our Spotify. But you really want to see the coolness of Booker White? Check out some of the stuff he has on YouTube because these videos are amazing. He even revamped his song, Aberdeen, Mississippi Blues, and he throws this part in where he's literally slapping his guitar, like banging it with his hand. You it know, is so cool. It is It is quite amazing. And honestly, like he's one of the people, I think, that has such a good uh, like physical quality to his music that you really have to at least see him. You know, Obviously, we're not going to be able to see him live. Which yeah. would be the penultimate, like, you know, the, the <laughs> actual. I think they call that heaven. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not going <laughs> to. Not going there quite yet just to see him. Your uh, opinion on Afterlife really uh, notwithstanding here, Ian. It really goes to show, like, there's that there's that really soul to the, the whole blues aspect that I think Booker really played into that he didn't get enough like spotlight for. No, he literally just played for fun his entire life. Essentially. He didn't make money until the sixties off of it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean that right there is like true passion. If you do it without like, you know, okay. Every musician in the world obviously wants to get played to pay, or paid to play music. That's cool. Not, not downplaying that, but if withstanding that every day you still go to the to the slab and, you know, play whatever instrument you play and whatever style you play, maybe, you know, jam out some song that you have played a thousand times that you wrote or whatever your favorite cover, your favorite band is, that is the true soul of music. Oh, yeah. 
more than the radio, more than what, you know, any like pop artist or anyone outside is ever going to be able to regurgitate into your mouth like a baby bird. Music actually comes from the soul of every single person. There's no limitation. No, like every person can play music. And if you play just the like a three note like song or even just bang a stick on a yeah, rock, bang a stick on a fucking rock. And at the end of the day, if you're making good music, that's actually what matters. And Booker White really embodies that. It didn't really matter what his fame level was. He played with just a love for the blues and a love for the art. Then it, it shows in all of his music. And so Booker White, he continued to do this up until he died in February, 1977 of pancreatic cancer. Uh, nobody really knows exactly what age he died, 67, 70, maybe, you know, and he was in Memphis, Tennessee. Because we discussed the fact that nobody really knows what year he was born. Yeah. But it was November. It was November. <laughs> Almost for sure. Almost for sure was probably November, at least in somewhere in 19, what, 06 to not 09? Oh six, oh two, oh nine, somewhere in there. They don't really know. Yeah, so it's a possible seven year stretch in which he was born. Yeah, so he's, yeah, so he's anywhere from uh, we'll uh, we'll say sixty three to seventy. Either way, pretty good run. Yeah, not so bad. I mean, especially for the fact that he, uh, he had a good end to his life too. He pretty much got to do what he wanted. Yeah, and if you really look at the content of his songs, he clearly didn't like hold back. No, there's a lot of uh, a lot of content with him uh, being out with the ladies, if you know <laughs> what I mean. He was posthumously inducted in the Blues Hall of Fame in 1990. Hell yeah! Along with Blind Blake and Lonnie Johnson. So some good company there. Yeah, that's a that's a good like you know to go shoulder and shoulder with them into the Hall of Fame. That that's all right, man. Yeah. And once again, it really is unfortunate that we always have this reoccurring theme where it's like a posthumous induction into the Hall of Fame, and it makes me really sad because you know I, I would like to. I think people should be able to enjoy the fact that they're going to join the Hall of Fame. Yeah, the problem is though, the Hall of Fame didn't even really start till 1980 anyway. Oh, that's that's way later because he yeah. died in you know seventy seven, seventy seven. Yeah, he died in seventy seven. So, so three years after he was <laughs> dead is when the the first year of the Hall of Fame even existed. Yeah, so. but he didn't even make it till nineteen ninety either. So yeah. Oh well, I guess that's a good point too. <laughs> they had they had other people to work through before they got to poor old Book of White. I had to get to Sunhouse, other musicians. <laughs> they probably had a lot of people i think i think his little cousin was probably in before him <laughs> yeah 1987 <laughs> three years before Wait, i don't mean to laugh that's actually kind of fucked up because that's literally like it's so sad that, that is really that is really sad i mean his one claim to fame is he helped teach bb king how to play guitar so i mean that's something that is something i mean and especially if it's your little cousin that's family and you know you know, being a, a a professional blues baby myself. Yeah, and he got to see his whole, uh, not whole career, but, you know, the start of him getting famous, if you think about it. So, I mean, he, he probably had a sense of pride, like, yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah, continue on my legacy, child. Yeah, but that's, that's at least something. Like, that's, I, I think that that, like, legacy and the fact that, like, the, the fact that we're even talking about today really says more about it than anything else. Like, regardless of how famous you are and, and what you get today, if you really put, like, music to record and you really put soul into it and you put, like, effort and care 
and talent and you really like make your music the best it could possibly be with the most with the most effort that you possibly can regardless of what happens today you may not like be ultimately famous today and beyond whatever like social media is rocking a million follows or whatever but someday someone is going to sit here and appreciate your music and he never fell out fell out of love with music either that's the best part is no matter how little fame he had he still played he didn't have to get retrained like sunhouse he kept playing working in plants living his life just Figured life would, uh, you know, just keep going along with him doing his thing, you know. He seemed to get out of a lot of trouble just by being a decent blues musician. We talked about it with the prison thing, but it kind of seems like his life and all, like, his his romantic incursions kind of all have this blues thing and, in, like, intertwined with him. I'm sure he was picking up ladies with his blues cred and stuff, too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, but. Unless I'm, number three stayed until the end, and then I'm not trying to imply that he was, you know, bluesing around. Sleeping around. Yeah, yeah. bluesing around. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I even buy kind of that it was self defense because he never got in trouble after this, you know? He, he seems like a big, cuddly teddy bear man who yeah. would also shoot your ass if you, you know, ganged up on him and on. Exactly. Alley, right? So it makes a little bit of sense. Yeah, like he never got in trouble after this. And when he got rediscovered, he was more than happy to go, oh, yeah, I can play that for you. Yeah, no problem, man. And, yeah, we've talked about before where people had to come back and, like, hey, I'm going to teach you your own song now so that you can play again. He's like, bam, 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 bam. Been That's, doing it the whole time. Yeah, that was a terrible representation of his music. I'm sorry. Just go listen to the songs. Where please, I'm gonna... please do check out Booker Wyatt. That's <laughs> <laughs> in general don't, like so please like, don't listen to pat yeah, try and do, vocalize yeah. his awesome guitar playing yeah do do not check out do not expect that my vocalization is a representation of his music i promise it's more enjoyable than that now that we're done ragging on me for my vocal representations of music everybody go check out book of white damn it <laughs> and once again i just can't say enough how much i love his music like just rediscovering this again just got that spark in my head again where it's just like, oh, I forgot about this song. This is so good. And then I just all week been listening to nothing but him. Well, I had to throw some Led Zeppelin in there to, you know, check out the influence. But other than that, nothing but Booker White. And I don't know if you guys know, this is probably the most excited I've been other than maybe Woody Guthrie for a musician we've done and actually Charlie Poole. But like Charlie Poole, Woody Guthrie, Booker White, all music that I have just fallen in love with over the years. We can always the, tell how happy Ian uh, is because he gets all antsy in his chair. He starts dancing around because he's love ready to start telling that story. And I, I, I really enjoy these episodes because when Ian's when Ian's excited, I'm excited, I guess. <laughs> Calm down over there. Oh. But if I'm going to you know weigh in on my final thoughts here with Booker White... More than anything else, he taught me a lesson during my research that is more important than any of the lesson that I've learned from another musician in a million years. I may have learned this lesson a hundred times, but it's that sort of lesson that every time you learn it, you get a little better, but then you have to learn the lesson again. Enjoyment and fun and passion is far more important than anything else when it comes to music. If you're a struggling musician out there or you're a you know, you know, a fledgling musician or you're an internet musician or you're a fucking legend or whatever you may be. All that matters is like still loving what you do. 
because that's what drives it. You can't go out every day and do something that you don't love. So if you can really have the passion to put in the effort to learn something, that is what talent is. A lot of people get confused on the concept of talent. You know, talent is your desire to be able to do something for a long time. If you're more passionate about something, you enjoy something, you're going to be able to practice it for longer amounts of time. And longer amounts of time of practice make you better at something. So that's what talent is. If you enjoy something, that is equated to talent. And that really is what Booker White shows. He, out of pure joy, plays with such blues, melody, and strength that, I don't know, it strikes even through recordings, what, 50 years later. And on that note, support us in something we're passionate about. This podcast, do check us out on our social media. We got Twitter, we got Facebook, we got Spotify. In fact, you really want to check out these songs, get on our Spotify, because that's where you can listen to them. Yeah, you can listen to playlists for every episode, and, uh, you know, give us ratings on things. I don't, I'm not going to try and over-define your life, but, you know, if you like our stuff, tell people that you like our stuff so that more people can like it or hate it. Whatever. We love you. Have a good day. Thank you.